So it's not too often you get to meet someone on the internet and it turns out to be a, a really good thing, right? Internet full of strangers, right? But uh, Jamie Irvine, you've probably seen him on my podcast. We've done so many things together over the years. He's here visiting us here in South Carolina. We thought it'd be a great opportunity to do a podcast episode together. So if there's anyone that's an expert on what goes on in heavy duty parts, it is Jamie. So if you're a manufacturer, retailer, seller, uh, distributor, whatever you're doing, and you want to know more about HD parts or what he can do for your company for branding and help building online awareness and all the things, talk to Jamie. But enjoy the conversation. I think you're going to like it. Well, in episode three and a half years in the making, I believe. So for the audience, if you've been watching or listening all the way back, it's got to be season one at this point. I had Jamie Irvine on here, who I met online on LinkedIn, doing a thing with parts. But Jamie, you are the host of the Heavy Duty Parts Report. You're the CEO of Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation. And you're kind of like the go-to guy now when it comes to heavy duty parts. <laughs> Trying to be the voice of the industry, if you will, right? We've spent some time building up our reputation in the heavy duty parts industry, but I've worked in that industry since 1998 and absolutely love it. And I think it's so important what people do in the parts world to support the trucking industry. So, All right. So before we get into like some topics here, I think the interesting thing is the thing you said just before we went on air, like the your viewership like this month with Days to Go is more than like the first year combined. Yeah, yeah. Like that's gotta be a journey getting a brand, building a brand's really freaking tough. And it's kind of what you help a lot of people do today. Yeah. But you're kind of like, I've been there, done that now. Yeah, and I mean, when we started off four years ago, I was working selling parts and I just had an idea. And I, I talked to a lot of people and a lot of people in the independent service side of the business, they were saying, look, we don't have enough resources compared to people who work in the OES side. And I thought to myself, well, I bring all these manufacturers out into, you know, when I'm selling parts and we have these great conversations, if we could figure out a way to record that and make it available to the industry, maybe that's valuable. And I think at the heart of every brand has to be that concept of like, who are you trying to help? How are you going to help them? You worry about that. And if you do that long enough, a brand emerges. Yeah. No, it's, it's amazing. I had, uh, I said the truck and hustle guys on here, right? Right. It was the same thing, like go from nothing to building something doing a podcast yeah. and people don't understand what a podcast is and what it can do for you and the audience it can build and the reputation it can build. But it's pretty cool seeing it at all the shows, interviewing people, doing all the things. The industry needs it. Like yeah. our industry needs it. And I guess I want to talk a little bit about that because it's the, the, I guess what we're going to talk about on the show, it's just the whole state of the parts industry in general, right? So let's first talk about just like economic condition, like a big overall. Because I thought it was done, mm -hmm. but... I was just talking to one of my employees here. They bought a new car. They could only get one key fob because the other one was missing a chip. Yeah. Um, and I just was talking to someone else that owns a dealership. And they're like, nope, some things are still like impossible to get or hard to get. So you're, you're talking to all these manufacturers. Where, mm -hmm. where are things at? Well, that's the interesting thing. So in some categories, there is an overabundance of parts. So what we had is we had people getting uh, PO after PO being delayed. And so they just kept stacking orders, hoping, and they, they were over-ordering, hoping that eventually some parts would come in, right? And now what we have is we have manufacturers saying, look, we've dedicated resources towards our category. We've shipped all of these orders. This inventory is in the North American market, and there's still a shortage because the inventory didn't get equally distributed. So you've got some stores and warehouses overstocked in that category. And over here in this state, you have a guy who's completely out and desperate trying to find it. Yeah. So it's an interesting time because the 
the like yes the the supply chain shortages that every manufacturer who came on my show for two years talked about has definitely gotten better but we're by no means done with the uh, the issues with inventory on the ground yeah so that's what's unique about our industry it's like really fragmented mm -hmm. and i don't think people understand this right because you look at i don't i mean i don't know how many thousands or tens of thousands of locations sell truck parts but once you kind of so take away, like I can tell you how many rooftops, how they many, think how many rooftops there are. are there? So they roughly think that there's about 17,200 rooftops on the aftermarket side. Okay. And then when you add in the OES dealerships, it works out to about 24,000 rooftops. That's according to uh, the like Randall Riley um, subscriber base to places like Truck Parts and Service and and those uh, those media outlets. Yeah. So you got 24,000. I, I think the, like the biggest one in the aftermarket is Fleet Pride. Right. right. And, and they, they have, have like, like four, 400. Yeah. Or something. Like it's, it's like yeah. less than 2%. That's right. Of, of the market share. So it's like this super fragmented industry and everyone that sells parts has their own ERP system mm -hmm. and they use their own parts naming scheme and none of them actually talk to each other. Yeah. Like even HDA truck pride, who's been a long supporter of the heavy duty parts report, there are 150 independent companies with 750 parts stores and 450 service shops. And every one of those independent companies has their own operating system, their own way of doing things. Yes, they're together as a group um, and they do some central buy and central ship, but it's uh, it's still even even a group like that is very fragmented. So I remember being at an international dealership and I was the parts manager. And if you were out of a part, you could actually look and see like the last 10 dealers that bought them mm -hmm. and their phone number. Mm -hmm. And then you have to like call them one at a time. Be like, do you, do you still have this on your shelf? It was just, so, I'm like, I'm working at a dealership and I'm sitting here making 10 phone calls to try to find one freaking part. Yeah. Like, this and, is insane. And I work for Truck Pro and uh, the Canadian, uh, one of their Canadian companies. And we had that same ability. We would be able to see uh, the Arctic truck parts stores. There was four of us in Western Canada, but then we also had stores in Eastern Canada and we had access uh, with a phone call. Uh, and maybe I think at the end there, we were able to do it on the computer, but we could look at some of the truck pro inventory, but you still, it wasn't a, a, an easy, simple way yeah. of getting the parts. You, you, you know, the, the current research shows that the average parts person spends 20% of every single day chasing out of stock parts <laughs> yeah 20% uh I would believe it because I was a parts manager and literally they'd have like two phones going sometimes yeah. like this and a customer in front of them just being like I am trying <laughs> and once in a while they do this thing like put them on <laughs> you guys talk to each other exactly <laughs> figure out what's going on yeah. here well then you get into like I mean you use your example right like they're out of this part here but they have it in stock here but then you also get into like cross references mm -hmm. right because mm -hmm. That one part could actually cross to a bunch of other manufacturers that might be somewhere else. It's, it's, it's this Never mind problem. somewhere else, Tyler. The parts in their store. So, How it would drive parts managers crazy. And, and as a sales account manager, I was always trying, you know, my performance was based on numbers. So I would find out that a customer came in or, you know, ordered a part. They said, no, go to someone else. Meanwhile, we had the part in stock in our warehouse, we just didn't know we had it. So we have a, okay, funny you mention that. <laughs> like we actually built a tool to do that, right? Right. And it's amazing every time we do that for someone's inventory, how much their inventory is overlapping and they had no freaking idea in the world they were yeah. overlapping. And we actually did it for a manufacturer once, an aftermarket manufacturer. They gave us all their SKUs, like thousands. We run it through our machine and there was like 150 groups of duplicates. Yeah. And we're like, wait a second. They make like, how can they have duplicates? And we went to their website and pulled up like the part numbers and they looked exactly the same. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you tell there were different photos, different yeah. angles, we're like that is the same part. And they look at the crosses and they cross them to two different things. 
Um, and they fixed it, but they, mm-hmm. I'm like, how did that happen? He goes, two different times, two different departments, we're yep. a big company and things happen. Well, and that's what the, the thing about aftermarket manufacturing is, especially if you have a larger manufacturer, you're siloed. And, you know, you're like, let's say I'm running my side and you're running your side. And and our boss comes and says, Tyler, I need you to go and, and look at all of these parts. And Jamie, you go look at all of these parts for these vehicles. Meanwhile, in the background, we have tier one manufacturers making the same part for both and numbering them differently. Right. Yep. So that's how a, a, an aftermarket manufacturer, that situation could occur. And I remember when we worked on that together yeah. and it just blew our minds yeah, when we so. saw that. So many people don't know that uh, I had the great privilege of working with Tyler and his group group on the diesel parts app for a very long time. And and it was it was mind blowing to see those kinds of things happening. Like, I think you and I both instinctively knew stuff like that was happening, yeah. but to see the data and then to watch their response when you talk to them is something else. Yeah, like that can't be right. Yeah, like, yeah they're like, come on. Nope, it is. And you're like, ah, here's the numbers. <laughs> it, is, it is right, here's the parts, we triple checked them. Yeah. You're good to go. So you have this fragmented industry, you got demand spiking and going crazy mm-hmm. and supply chain stuff. And I know one of the companies you work with does internet e-commerce sales. Yep. So that had to be a boon to them, right? Because people are probably going online, Google, and trying to find, just just find the thing they need. There's gotta be a centralized way to do this. So it, it, that is a yes, no answer. Uh, there are some people who in the industry have really seen the advantage, uh, but the problem that some of my clients run into is once they get their e-commerce set up, they find that they have less than 10% of the rich data needed to populate the the information. And that's where you then get a disconnect with the buyer. Because when the buyer phones a parts counter and talks to someone they have a relationship with, they build up trust over time. And so, you know, if you and I, uh, if if you buy parts from me and I know you and we've gone to, you know, maybe a hockey game or we've gone to a football game together and we've built that relationship over five years. And when, when you really needed me to come through, I came through for you. When I tell you, no, don't worry, Tyler, that part will work. You just buy it because of that trust. But yeah. It's different even if you're dealing with my company, but you're, then you're on my my new e-commerce platform and the data is missing. There's no picture. Some of the pies information, which is like the weights and the dimensions or the year make model information isn't available. There's a there's a doubt. Is that the right part? Is that the part I need? And so what we found is, is we found a lot of companies are struggling once they get their the platform set up, that's actually, I mean, that's hard, but it's the easier part. The data is the problem. And because of that adoption is now a, a real issue, getting cl- your customers to actually start using it. Once you get that figured out, here's here's the industry data. It costs about 30 to 60% less to accept an order via e-commerce than it does the traditional way. Yeah. So immediately your bottom line gets better. It takes the load off the parts counter because they have to take less calls. And then those people don't lose their jobs. They get to refocus on higher value solutions for the customer. And then the other thing that happens is that about 35% of the purchases made after six months are products that have never been purchased by that customer from you before. So that's that, this is how it works. I have confidence that that data is correct, so I'm willing to buy. Oh, hey, look, they also have that. Might as well add it to the order. Yeah. And so once you get it right, it has a massive impact on your company as a parts distributor. But getting it right requires a very large investment, right? It's time. It's, it's, it's money for infrastructure and technology. It's getting the data. It's processing all of that. And then rolling out a strategy that actually onboards your customers, gets them comfortable with it and gets them to buy. That's a very long, takes a long time to do. 
takes a lot of resources. And if you're going to do it, you have to have leadership really, really stick their neck out and say, this is a priority. We're doing this no matter what. So I'm going to break it down for the audience a little bit. So uh, it was just the AC- ACPN conference, which yep. is put on by AutoCare. And what you're really talking about is aces and pies. That's correct. Yeah. So for the audience, pies are actually probably the more easy one. Mm-hmm. How much does it weigh? What color is it? How many in a box? How many in a carton? How many in a pallet? Just think all the things you need to know to ship the thing, right? Yeah. Like it doesn't actually help you figure out what part you need. No. <laughs> most cases. No. Uh, most it might, by measurements maybe. But, but it might verify that, hey, the distance between this port and this, this port, port is, is four and a half inches. And therefore I know that's the valve so, I need. So they they created a nice little sandbox to, to put in all that information. But to give the audience an example here, one of them would be there, I think are eight fields for title. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and what happens is, is all the manufacturers and they're filling that out. They're like, well, I'm going to use this one. Or I'm going to use that one. Like even, even the title field is really hard to get them all to do the exactly. same thing. And then, then you move on to description. Oh yeah. Yeah. Mind blown. Right. <laughs> yeah. Category. Like yeah. what's it fit? What's my yeah. PMRS code? Uh, but then you get into the, the really the difficult one that people really need. And this is why auto works, which is the ACES side. Mm-hmm. So ACES for the audience is the year make model. Yeah. Like if you were going to Amazon, Napa, O'Reilly's, anywhere, and you just put in a VIN or you put in your make model, I, I can find the parts I need for my vehicle, yeah. right? Um, not that way in heavy duty for a lot of reasons. So you work with manufacturers. Mm-hmm. How much do they struggle figuring out what your make model, their parts actually fit? I would say that most of the aftermarket uh, companies that manufacture parts, including tier one manufacturers that have an OEM division, because they have to silo the OEM division from the aftermarket side, even the aftermarket division at tier ones often don't know what the part they're making goes on. They have no idea what it fits. So I think when I look at aftermarket, there's like two companies I use an example of, and they both kind of do it a different way. So I think what like Automan did is they got really good at getting all their pies data together yeah. and making super stupid, easy to use lookup tools. Yeah. Right. And part of that's cross references as well. Um, and then I look at Dorman mm-hmm. and Dorman, they do that pies, but they they don't have the easiest lookup tools. Yeah. Ironically, but they're also focused on the year make model stuff. Right. So on their website, they actually will like let you look by VIN or year make model to figure out what they do. But you wonder why they're selling so much in the aftermarket or why Dorman all of a sudden is like this, you know, $1.5 billion revenue company. Yeah. And they weren't yeah. even in the space a couple of years ago. That's right. It's because they got their data right. Yeah. And that's really, if they get their data right, anybody can look up the parts and sell the, and sell the parts. And that's the big difference a lot of these manufacturers don't get. And, and that it all goes back to the, the end user customer, whether it's a fleet, the repair shop, the, the technician, the do-it-yourself owner-operator. When they go on the e-com site, do they have confidence that the part number that they have found on the site is what they need? And you get that confidence through a good high quality picture, the PIES data, the ACES data, warranty information, and technical information. So an example of technical information could be, if this part is failing, you should also look at that part. Yeah. Right. So all of that information needs to be there. That's the what they call rich data, because that's what gives the consumer the confidence needed to say, yep, that's the part I need and buy it. Yeah. So all that leads to what I want to talk about next, which is the actual parts professional. Um, we can talk about some other professionals here to the space behind the counter. Right. So when you look at U.S. Census data and National Labor Bureau data, mm-hmm. you can actually see like average wages of employees. And it shocks people when I ask them, like, what do you think the average wage is of a parts counter person at automotive store? Right. And everyone's like, oh, it's got to be 25, 30 bucks an hour. It's like, man, you make 15 bucks 
flipping burgers now, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was like $17.50. That's right. And how do they get away with that? It's because they don't even know anything. That's it's right. all the data is there. They're just like, click, 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 click. And that's why you get the weird questions like, what year, what make, what model, what transmission, mm -hmm. what color, like mm -hmm. whatever. How are the manufacturers decide to break up their specs? That's yeah. where you get those weird oddball questions from is that data set. The HD space, we're not there. But I think a lot of the people I know that used to be like parts professionals are kind of aging out, it looks like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, every other week, one of the people who mentored me or that I had a relationship with when I sold parts just a few years ago is announcing their retirement. When you look at, for example, the uh, subscribers of uh, Truck Parts and Service as an example, they gave me the data around their, their subscriber. It's publicly available. It's on their site. But it shows the composition. And the over 50 is the huge percentage. I don't remember off the top of my head the exact percentage, but it's something like 64%. And then 34 to 50, 55, whatever the, the cutoff was, is like 25%. And under that is like 2%. Yeah. And and so, I mean, yes, this is just the subscribers, but it shows you the trend. And you you if you're in the business, you know this to be true. Everybody is in, you know, either uh, middle age or older. There's a few young people who kind of have their head on and maybe got 10, 15 years. And then after that, can you think of, of very many young people in the industry? And the answer is is no. No. Now the path, at least not for the truck dealership world, it was like, well, let's hire you to go deliver parts. Mm -hmm. Then if you do a good job at that, we'll move you in the warehouse. Yep. Then if you do a good job at that, we'll like let you go kind of watch and maybe go on the parts. Parts on the a little, weekend. Yeah, parts on the weekend, yep. right? Like yep. get the crappy shifts. And then it's like, okay, now you're ready to a parts guy. Only under the supervision of a senior. Yeah. And then, you know, in 10 years, then maybe but it it's can like be a senior. 10 or 15 year journey. Totally. And nobody's sticking around that long. And it's, it's <laughs> the same in aftermarket. It, that, yeah. that exact same uh, uh, trajectory for your career was what it took. My mentor always told me, you know, how do you get 20 years of experience in the business? He goes, come see me in 20 years. Yeah. You know, there's no shortcut. Yeah. They, which I think all this though, creates opportunity, right? It sure does. Because it creates, I know for me, like, I'm like, oh wait, I go make software that lets people look up parts easier. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can make money off that. Or what if I can go help manufacturers figure out their year make model? I can make money off that, right? Yep. And I think it's creating a lot of opportunity for like a find of parts, right? Like yeah, they're, they're like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna do a wide swath of parts here and figure out how to go help people. Well, and, and this goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of the conversation about building a brand. So when people go on Find It Parts, now, by the way, Find It Parts is a main sponsor of the Heavy Duty Parts Report. We, we've really just onboarded them in the last couple of months, and they've been a great partner. We have a fulfillment partner now that can actually take the order. But when you go on their site, you, you get the idea that they're trying to be like the Amazon of parts. People don't understand the actual business model that Find It Parts is running. So they're running what's called a redistribution model. What they've basically done is they've done a really good job of two things, identifying the data around the part and finding out where the part is. Yeah. And so when you go on to find a part site as a parts person, instead of making eight phone calls, you just type in the part. It tells you where it is, what state, what's where, you know, exactly how much it's going to cost you and when it can be delivered. And so with the click of a few buttons, you hit order and you can move on to the next order and you can tell the customer with confidence that part will be here tomorrow. Yeah. And so what they've done is they've really, all they've done is they've made the global parts inventory availability in North America available to you, you can actually see it now. And that's all they're doing. And it's a wonderful uh, solution to a massive problem. So, you know, the, the CEO of that company, um, he always talks about the fact that all he cares about is the 20% of parts you don't have in stock. 
Yeah. That's all he's trying to help yep. you with. He's not trying to sell you a, you know, sell a skid of brakes at a low ball price into your marketplace. He's just trying to help you as a parts person find where the part is that your customer needs and get a sale. Yeah, 100%. That I mean that's the right thing to focus on. It's like uh, over here in our sales department, everyone like talks about the revenue. I'm always like, "Well, what deals are we not closed and why?" Right. Right? Let's go find the gaps because that's how you go grow your company and yep. go take care of your customers better and all that. So, yeah, I think it's interesting. A lot of technology, a lot of things changing. What are the, is there any big talking points you're hearing from people right now or concerns? Like what, well, what do we miss? Yeah, so I think the economics is something I'd like to talk about for a minute. So we're definitely in the bottom of a cycle. Uh, we don't know exactly if we've hit bottom yet or if we're about to. Uh, we know tonnage is down. We know that uh, the, the driver shortage has been eased because of less demand. But what that means, and everybody always is kind of behind with their perception of things. So they see that and they, they start freaking out. Well, actually, no, no, no. That just means that we're about to, to ride the wave back up. And um, so we're we're going to exit this down cycle. We're going to start to see growth. The, the kind of universal agreed upon number of growth in the industry uh, by The Economist is about a 7% growth over 10 years. Um, so yes, right now we're in the bottom of that. But this means that that we're going to, when we start coming up, there's going to be a long period here of, of growth again. And that means that there's going to be changing changes in demand. And so for the parts people, it might feel right now not so good because things are kind of going down, but it means that it's coming back up soon. These things are cycles. They repeat very consistently. Now, we don't know the time frame. That's what creates the volatility, right? We went on a on a great bull run, uh, the greatest in, in history leading up to COVID, and then that's over. And this one might only be a three-year cycle, you know, but the average is five years from the, from boom to bust. So things, things are, are right now definitely not where we would all like them to be. Um, and I'm sure that you're feeling that volatility in your own business, but the, the, the long-term viewpoint actually is, is one of positivity. So when I look at 2024 and beyond, I, I see good times ahead of us. So we're going to have a lot of demand. I mean, you talk about the cycle, my mind's just flashing back to like pre COVID. Right. Right. Like I remember talking to some people in their early thirties, like, and they were just, they've never known a down market. Yeah. Yeah. It only goes up and to the right. Yeah. And they're like, well, I'm going to take money out of my house and I'm going to go buy more stocks. I'm like, look, like, I promise you, this does not go up and to the right forever. That's and when right. it goes the other way, it's going to go the other way hard. Yeah. And you're just putting yourself in a lot of risk. And yeah. people do weird things, right? When times are good. They do. It's like they listen to Warren Buffett, right? What's it like, be be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy. Like just, just, just go against yeah. the opposite grain. Well, and I always say people, when times are good, they think it's never going to end. And when times are bad, they think it's never going to end. And neither <laughs> are true. So, you know, from a parts perspective right now, the, the key is inventory management. It's, it's having the right inventory, the right mix of inventory, making sure that you can service as many customers as possible, leveraging tools that are available in the marketplace, use diesel parts, use find it parts. These are, you know, that's an app that you guys put out for helping people identify bunch of free parts. Tools just, labeled. just a yeah. bunch of free tools. Find it parts can help you identify where inventory is that, that you can sell something that you don't have in stock. Use what's available to you right now, manage that carefully, and then you're going to be in the best position possible when that cycle starts starts to repeat and we start to go on the upswing to be able to capture more market share. And the last thing I'll say is right now, while people, because your customers are suffering, fleets are suffering right now, um, go and be obsessed with trying to solve some real problems for them. Yeah. They will remember that when times get good again and they will reward you. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, truck parts is a commodity in a lot of cases, right? Not all, but most. And if you're constantly just undercutting everybody by a penny, you're yep. racing to zero. 
And that's a that's a that's a no win game, right? Yeah. And you have to provide value to your customers at the end of the day somehow, some way. That's right. To make it yeah. work. Yeah, we've we've entered into a new joint venture with uh, with a venture capitalist uh, group uh, back in January, and we've launched uh, in the process anyway of launching some new software for heavy duty parts distributors. The company is going to be called Visi Parts, and it's all about making uh, the parts visible to the end user customer. You know, during COVID, we talked to a lot of fleets, and they said that that, that they were more focused on the drive shortage and the technician shortage pre-COVID, but during COVID with the supply chain issues, they discovered that losing visibility of their parts orders was costing them huge. And so they wanted more of a focus on that. So, you know, I, I, what I'm trying, the reason I'm telling you that is because I try to apply my own advice. So I tried to attack a problem that I know distributors have. We're trying to build a technology solution that's going to help their parts counter, you know, and, and, and we're really optimistic about rolling the software out and making it available. So it's those kinds of technology solutions that are available now or that will become available soon. And as a parts company, you can't just keep doing it the way you've always done it. That is over. There's a new world that we've entered into uh, where technology has to play a role because we just don't have the people to solve the problem. If you just tried to hire and train people, you would you would never solve the problem in time. Well, Jimmy, I think if anything I came across in this, you know what you're talking about when it comes to heavy duty parts. So if people want to find you, connect with you, sure. where do they go? Best place to go is heavydutypartsreport.com. Uh, that way you can get access to our show, whether you're wanting to watch it on YouTube or if you want to uh, watch it right on the website, you can subscribe to our weekly email there. You can find all of the social handles there. So heavydutypartsreport.com, you know, we air a new episode every single week and uh, we talk to manufacturers and parts experts. So that's the place to go if you want to learn about heavy duty parts. Well, well, they can go to the OG episodes and catch me on episode something early. I was on there early. I was yeah. an early adopter. You were very early. And in fact, if you want to watch the very first time, you're, you've been on the show many times. <laughs> episode 13 is is ground zero of Tyler and I's relationship. So go check out episode 13. If you go on desktop, you can just type in uh, episode 13. It'll come right out. Yeah. And the next time someone tells you social media is a waste of time, it's not. That's how we got connected. That's right. We build businesses off it. It definitely works. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Like, comment, subscribe, both to me and with Jamie. And we will catch you in the next episode. As we end, everyone, it's not just diagnostics done right, but you need parts. You need someone that knows that. And people that are helping the industry get to be a better thing. So thank you again for watching and listening. Catch you on the next episode.